All right, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day, another day to be alive, another day to be your children on this earth and be lights to the world. What a privilege we have. What a privilege that you've adopted us as your own and that you allow us to represent you. Father, we ask for more grace and more faith to be able to do this task you ask of us. And most of all, Father, we ask that you help us rely on your Son, the one who paid the price, the one who rose from the dead for us and gave us new life. We ask that you help us rely on your Spirit every day and your Word. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Okay, again, the difficult passage is Grace and Works, Part 24. So we're going to reorient ourselves tonight to this series. The Spirit has had us on the vein of grace and how grace includes so much more than we see grace as. I just want you to think about that for a second. Grace includes so much more than what we see grace as. Hopefully to you at this point it's been eye-opening to, to realize what grace really is and, and how it crosses a lot of boundaries that maybe we put on it and we get stuck in our human perspective at times. But grace includes so much more than we see grace as. We talked about all the wonderful fruit we've experienced in our souls from all the tough lessons. And look where God has taken us over even just the last year or two. Remember the grace the Lord has shown us, where he's taken us from as a congregation and individually. And remember that that's the results of grace being honest with us, as much as we might not like it at times. All the place where God's taken us to at this point is a result of grace being honest with us, not being accommodating, not the human perspective of grace. Think about it this way. Part of the kindness of grace, which if you were going to get down to definitions of grace, one definition might be, you know, the kindness of God toward us, just the unadulterated pure, undeserved kindness that he shows us, right? Well, part of the kindness of grace is that it's not always nice, quote-unquote. And that might seem like an oxymoron, but part of the kindness of grace is that it's not always, quote-unquote, nice to us or, you know, making things the easiest, which does not mean it would be what's best for us, of course. So thank God that he's not accommodating He's willing to do whatever's best for us out of love, even if it hurts. So on the board, divine perspective might say something like this. It's all good, Lord. I trust you know what's best. Hurt me if you must. I love you. I trust you. David said something similar to what you see here on the board during the Absalom Revolution. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel 15, verse 25. 2 Samuel 15, verse 25. Again, on the board, divine perspective says, It's all good, Lord. I trust you know what's best. Hurt me if you must. I love you. And look what David said in verses 25 and 26. The king, that's David, said to Zadok, Return the ark of God to the city. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then he will bring me back again and show me both it and its habitation. But if he should say thus, I have no delight in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. Now most of us would force it. Most of us would say, hey, I'm the king. God loves me. He's already told me he's with me. I'm going back with the ark, and I'm going back to that city and, you know, take it over again. 
Again, this is during the Absalom re revolution. But David trusted God and was willing to accept where God might actually want him at that time in his life. Even though what he wanted, of course, like we all want, is blessing. But look again what David said in verse 26. But if he, God, should say thus, I have no delight in you. See, David was open to it. You see, see what's going on? David was open to the fact that God might not be happy with him right now and might want him to go through some discipline. We're usually not open to that, are we? <laughs> if we're honest. But if he should say thus, I have no delight in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. So on the board, again, regarding divine perspective, tough lessons from the Spirit, from the pulpit and in our lives, are His magnificent grace being poured out on us. They are to be received with the attitude, the Lord's will be done. Again, tough lessons, whether it's from the pulpit or in our actual lives, their magnificent grace, God's grace being poured out on us, and they're to be received. Received, in other words, willingly, humble. They are to be received with the attitude, the Lord's will be done. Just as David just said in 2 Samuel fifteen twenty six. God loves us enough to tell us and show us the truth. And so we ought to be grateful for our pastor even, who might rub us the wrong way at times, but loves us enough to tell us the truth. Listening to the Spirit even give us unpopular messages, like what many would consider a tough lesson on Sunday. But, you know, love tells the truth. If you don't want the truth, that's fine. You know, you can go find a pulpit that will tickle your ears and always be, quote-unquote, positive. But do you want to be lied to? Do you want to be left in deception if you're stuck in deception? Or do you want to be told the truth? And that's part of grace. As in our recent series, we must remember the Lord's grace, including all of it, all forms of it. On the board... Remember, the Spirit is removing a lot of scars from our souls. We all have different forms from different sources, but that's what He's doing. So we mustn't revolt in our souls when we hear a tough lesson. We must remain humble and open to what Scripture has to say. As DJ said so plainly a couple weeks ago, God gives us whatever we need to hear. And we should trust that. As long as you know, as long as whatever's coming from this pulpit is backed by Scripture, and you go home and be a good Berean, as in Acts, I forget what chapter it is, the Bereans would always look up the Scripture that was taught them on their own. And as long as you can conclude this is from Scripture, we should accept it with all our heart, in humility, as a form of grace. So it's not all pleasant to hear, but it's all good if it's from God. And one day we'll see the fruit of it also. Turn in your Bibles again to Hebrews 12, verse 11. This was one of our main passages a couple weeks ago as we left off. Again, it's not all pleasant to hear, but it's all good if it's from God. Amen? I mean, isn't that... I mean. As long as you know it's from Him, as long as it's backed in the Word and you can say, you know what, there it is, then it's all good. No matter how tough the message, no matter how challenging, no matter how against your um, inclinations, your desires even, for your own life, it doesn't compare to God's goodness. Hebrews twelve eleven. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I mean, isn't that true? Who, who's, what discipline is joyful? It's sorrowful, okay? It does seem to be sorrowful, at least in the beginning. Yet those who have been trained by it 
Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Notice afterwards. You don't see it right away. The results. The good fruit. God blesses us in his timing. God uh, changes us in his timing. So all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Notice the choices here. And the choices are a result of either humility or arrogance. Do you receive God's discipline and willingly be trained by it? Or do you snub it and say, I don't really need that. I'm going to ignore that. Or I'm going to flat out reject it and therefore suffer for it. So instead of your, your limb being healed, it's put out of joint by your own resistance to God's will and God's grace. So we don't usually think of discipline as being for the purpose of healing. But that's really what this passage says in context. And that's the wonderful result after some sorrow and pain if we remain humble. And I'm sure you'll all agree it's all worth it. I mean, we can all think of times or things in our lives where it's all worth it. We see God bringing us out the other side of something that we were in. And we see where he's taken us and the fruit of it and the righteousness even, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I'm like, wow. You know, now I see. It took three years. It took five years, whatever. Now I see why that happened. Now I see what he was doing. And now I'm at rest. I'm at peace. And I'm in a different place spiritually, too. So, again, it's all good if it's from God. We also noted a couple weeks ago the tough lessons and even the conviction of the Spirit while we read our Bibles is part of God refining us. By grace, he's burning off the slag in our souls, and we all got slag. That impurity stuff mixed in with the precious metals, the dirt, whatever else is in there, it's being burned off. So on the board, Revelation 3.18, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Just like God's discipline brings us to proper healing if we're humble, God's truth brings us to seeing if we're humble. They both might hurt for a while. God's discipline, God's truth. They both might hurt for a while, but they're very good for us in the end. And one day we'll be thanking him. The question is if we can thank him now while we're in it. That's where he wants us to be, in true humility. So while we're being refined, each of us, we're going through our own trials, our own disciplines, uh, all slightly different, if not vastly different. But while we're each being refined, we must also keep one another in mind including our pastor. Everybody's going through testing, uh, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, um, maybe all of them. But everyone's going through testing, including your pastor. So we also talked about ministering to one another. And we all have times to encourage others, and we all have times to be encouraged. When someone reaches out to you, Simply to see how you're doing with X, Y, Z. Isn't that somewhat relieving to you in some way? How about when somebody tells you they've been praying for you out of the blue? You know, they just come up to you and tell you, I've been praying for you. I'm not sure why, but I have been. Now, how do you, how do you feel? Isn't that encouraging? So God's grace comes in all these different forms. And God will, will minister to you through people at times, and God will ask you to minister to people at times. 
No matter where you are in the spiritual life, no matter how long you've been in the Word, that doesn't matter at all, as we're going to see in a minute. So as loving sheep and grateful sheep, we should not only receive ministering, but we should also be giving it as well. On the board, we are all ministers, and we all have our part to play in God's divine orchestra called life. The only question is, are you willing? Are you willing to even call yourself a minister? We're not talking about being an ordained pastor or anything like that. We're talking about you're a soldier of Christ, you're his ambassador, where every believer is his ambassador, right? So you're a minister. Are you willing to call yourself that? Are you willing to do what God asks you to do? Are you willing to encourage or minister to other people that God puts in your life? And we all have something different to contribute, by the way. Not better or worse, but different. Embrace that and believe that God has a plan to use you for the benefit of others, especially for your fellow believers in Christ. Embrace it. I mean, what a privilege. So on the board, we talked about the value of the minister. Sometimes you're just so weary that God provides another person to reach into the jar of medicine, for example, eye salve in Revelation 3.18, and apply it for you. Like in Matthew 4.11, Philippians 2.25-30, Galatians 6.6-10. God will bring someone along to put the medicine on for you. Maybe you can't even lift your arm and put it in the jar, spiritually speaking. And you need literally someone to come by and do the simplest of things to help you heal. And God knows. Doesn't God know exactly when you need it? When you need to be picked up? I mean, we, we, we uh, overly worry about taking care of ourselves. You know? In other words, God says... Don't worry about yourself. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on others. Help others. Live in, live in this calling. Minister to others. And when you're getting worn out, I know when you can't take it anymore. I'm going to bring someone in to lift you up or to take over. So, of course, we've got to trust him on that. And remember also, even Jesus Christ himself was ministered to. In Matthew 4.11 on the board, Then the devil left him, Jesus, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Pretty cool and pretty encouraging. Because you know what? It's tiring to resist the devil. Imagine resisting direct temptations from the devil for 40 days. And that's what the Lord did, and he was in a human body. He never sinned. He never, never failed, never had you know, the old sin nature. But he was in a human body being tempted by the devil. And even he was restored, ministered to by the angels. And God knows we all have limited energy in these frail bodies. So God is gracious. He's got our back, in other words. He knows when to boost you up in some way. But you and I, we keep our eyes on what he has in front of us. And he'll take care of us. This verse has also come up recently. James 4, 7. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So if, if, you're, um, if you've been into the Word of God for any amount of time, you know the spiritual life is a battle at times. It's a battle, right? In our souls, is where it all begins and where it all really takes place, honestly. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the invisible forces that are against us and even attacking our very thoughts. We, we were just reminded on Sunday about Ephesians chapter 6, which you can go home and read if you want a reminder, about the invisible warfare going on around us at all times. If we could see it all right now, We'd all just pass out. We'd all faint from 
the probably the amazement of it and the horror of it. And that that's what's going on right now around us. It takes faith. But that's what the Bible says. And we know it just by some of the things that happen in life, right? Or the things that happen in your own soul. And Satan and his cronies will attack at the most inopportune time in our lives. Right when you're tired, right while you're in pain, they'll come in and try to distract you and make you doubt, make you lose faith. They'll throw those fiery darts at your soul, give you thoughts you like you have no idea where they came from at the weakest moments. And what do we do? We get right down on our knees, either physically or, or in our soul, and turn to the Lord for strength and help. Because His is way more powerful than anything Satan can throw at us. Throw at us. And that's why we don't despair. The Lord, remember, is infinitely more powerful than Satan and his demons. And he provides the power to us to resist the devil if we submit to God. Again, on the board, what does it say first? Submit, therefore, to God. Then resist the devil and he'll flee from you. In other words, when you, when you submit to God, that's when he gives us his power, isn't it? That's kind of like being filled with the Spirit. It's a submission issue. It's a repentance issue. And when we do that thing, we have his power. He's like, your sails are filled, so to speak. And you submit to God, you can resist the devil. But that takes humility. So the Lord ministers to us at just the right time, in just the right way. And very often, it's eye salve to anoint our eyes so we can see what's really going on spiritually. I don't know about you, but I, I, you know, I, I crave to get glimpses of what's really going on spiritually. Maybe not see the literal angels and demons around me. I probably wouldn't survive, but uh, I want to see what's going on, what's really happening with the test, with people attacking you. You know, it's not... The battle's not against flesh and blood. What's really going on? Why is something really going on? Whatever it might be. We want God to open our eyes spiritually. Even the Apostle Paul, by the way, was humble enough to accept ministering from others. He wasn't arrogant to say, I'm an apostle. I don't need people. I've got God, right? Paul never did that. He was so humble and so grateful for people that ministered to him. So turn again to Philippians 2.25. We were here a couple weeks ago. And we see a man named Epaphroditus that ministered to Paul. May we never forget God's grace frequently flows through people to us. Through those that are his willing servants. Philippians 2.25, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And by the way, again, there's nothing special about him written in Scripture as far as his position, uh, being a pastor or a prophet or anything like that. He's my, look at my, the rest of it, my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier in Christ. That's every believer, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. So here we see a layperson that ministered to the apostle. And greatly encouraged him. Verse 26, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because he had heard that he was, you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. God knew how important Epaphroditus was to Paul at this time. What an encouragement he was. In Philippians 2.28, Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So, ministering to others 
no matter who it is, is a great privilege if you really look at it from the right perspective. Ministering to others, no matter who it is, is a great privilege that God gives us, especially if they're children of God. I mean, think about it. If the person you're sitting next to right now is a child of God, God's own, and God gives you the opportunity to minister to them, to build them up, encourage them, whatever, help them in whatever way, what a privilege. Who are we, right? And I think about more and more every time I'm able to teach, you know, the Word of God to people, I'm like, Lord, these are your children. Like, let me do a good job, you know, let me, give me the words to say for the sake of your children, you know. What a privilege to be involved in this activity of supporting one another and, and uh, building up each other's faith, encouraging each other. So don't lose sight of that. I mean, we really can't appreciate it right now fully, what, what privilege that is. So while you minister to other people, if you're willing, at times you will also grow weary. But that's where we pick up the slack for one another, so to speak. That's where your fellow believer, God will use another willing believer to swoop in when you're just at that point where you can't really take it anymore. And you get that boost you needed. I mean, it's, it's folks, honestly, it's just a symphony. And how God uses us to be there at the right place and fill the gaps at the right time is just uh, when we get to heaven, we'll, we'll just sit back and see it all and marvel. But right now, one analogy is like we're regularly handing the baton off to each other. You know, one person ministers, another person needs the ministering, and we're regularly going back and forth if we're willingly humble to be involved in that wonderful exchange, which God looks upon very favorably. So on the board, if you're going to follow the Lord's command of the Great Commission and you're going to be a good soldier of Christ who pays attention to the little things, you will become tired at times, but don't grow weary. Don't despair. This good labor is wonderful in God's eyes, and He will provide for you. He will provide for you. He'll pick you up when you need it. And often he'll use other people to do that. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians 6 verse 9. Again, if you're willing to follow the Lord's commands and be a good soldier who pays attention to the little things, you're going to become tired at times, but never despair and never grow weary. This labor is so good in God's eyes. You know, remember, remember that scripture that says, if you bring a cup of cold water to one of God's prophets, you receive the prophet's reward. I mean, that's how God looks at this ministering. So it's big and wonderful in his eyes, and he never forgets the labor we do for him. Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For example, ministering to others. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So don't lose heart. This is a big part of our calling right here, ministering to other people, especially believers. So if you're down and out, if you find yourself habitually depressed or bored, wondering what your purpose is in life, then your eyes are stuck on yourself too much. And you're not, you're not looking around you to see the needs of others, which are everywhere, by the way. All we have to do is open our eyes. Father, who do you want me to call right now? Who do you want me to text right now? Who should I be praying for right now? No, but we don't do that. We look at ourselves in the mirror like obsessively. Oh, God, look, I can get more wrinkles. Oh, God, look, how can you allow this to happen to me? Oh, my God, I don't have this. 
And that's why we're miserable and we're depressed and bored. When really God's, God's perspective is, how can you be bored? I've given you the privilege and power to minister to other people, and they're everywhere. How can you be bored? It's really our own fault. It's our eyes are in the wrong place, right? So if you're down and out or bored or depressed, just obey the scripture. How's that? How about obeying Galatians 6, 9, and 10? Let us do good to others while we have time. Ask yourself each day, how can I do good to somebody else today, especially my fellow soldiers in Christ? Now, listen, we all got to work or we all have responsibilities. We all got to take care of a house. Whatever's, whatever we got to do, we got to do. But this should certainly be a question we ask every day instead of being obsessed with our own stuff. How can I do good to somebody else today, Lord? Who do you want me to show or give encouragement to? On the board, obedience to verses like Galatians 6, 9, and 10 leads to freedom. Your own freedom. If you continue in his word, the truth will set you free. John 8, 31 and 32. This is especially true when you are a doer of the truth. It will set you free deliver you in your daily walk. Galatians 6, 9, and 10, James 1, 25. You will reap and you will be blessed. Let's synthesize Galatians 6 with James 1, 25. Look again at Galatians 6, verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Now hold your thumb there and go to James 1.25. So in Galatians 6.9, we just read that, you know, if we're a doer of the word, basically, we will reap if we do not grow weary. Look at James 1.25. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Again, the point on the board. If you continue in his word, the truth will set you free. This is especially true when you're a doer of the truth. It will set you free, deliver you every day in your daily walk. You will reap and you will be blessed, according to the scriptures we just read. It's funny how we want to be blessed, but we don't want to do. But God says it's a really simple formula. If you obey, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. But that takes humility. When God says, if you do, if you obey my word by faith, I will bless you beyond what you can imagine or understand. I'll give you that peaceful fruit of righteousness that you don't realize how good it is yet. But you have to choose to obey. It's when faith obeys that we experience the freedom God has designed for his children. So in humility, we get graced out, right? God gives grace to the humble. But in arrogance, we get in the way and we don't allow ourselves to experience the freedom God wants to give us. Again, it's when faith obeys that we experience the freedom he has designed for his children. So this is why we must always be open to the Spirit's leading. Because there are times he'll be pushing you to reach out to someone and use you to minister to them. Yes, you. We must be open to the Spirit's leading. There are times he's nudging you and he's, he's putting someone on your heart, for example. And what do we do? We, we ignore it as though it's a coincidence. 
Why do we do that? When God's pushing you to minister to somebody. He wants to use every single one of us. Every single believer listening to my voice right now. You might be down on yourself or don't think you have certain, you know, things to offer. But do you really think God isn't powerful enough to use you? Really, it's an attack on God. If we say, oh, I have nothing to give. That's foolishness. And that's arrogance. You might say in your heart, what good do I have that can help somebody? But it's often not the good that you're trying to give or the words that you, tr- that you think you need to say. It's often not that. It's that you actually just reach out, period. It's actually that you go to offer your help. It's actually the phone call that you make. It has nothing to do with the words, your ability to say the right words. It's the heart that God's looking for and that people uh, desire to see. And at times this will come full circle when another spirit-filled believer will come to your side at just the right time to take the pressure off just enough or bless you in some way. So on the board, yes, you. Be open to what the Spirit is convicting you of each and every day. Be sensitive to His leadings. And that takes, honestly, a certain humility in your daily relationship with Him. Are you uh, listening? Are you open to what He wants you to do? Not what you want to do, always looking at yourself, always looking at you know, taking care of yourself. And these are the things that lead to freedom, folks. This is the great irony, if you will, in the spiritual life. It's when you take your eyes off yourself and put them on God and others that you get the freedom. That's how God's system works. And what's better than that, that you can give and help others and gain more freedom by it at the same time? What's better than that? Nothing. That's what we all crave, ultimately. And often in our daily walk, we have a choice to make. We can either listen to the Spirit, or we can be taken captive by the details of life. And that's often our plain choice. We can either listen to the Spirit, nudging us, or we can be taken captive by the details of life. And I can even think in my own soul of times where God was nudging me to do something, But then right here on this side, I had a detail I could, whatever, get wrapped up in. And many times, I'm human, you fall for the detail, right? And you you just ignore that little nudge he gave you and be like, I want to take care of this right now. For me, it's generally for me. So that's often our simple daily choice. Which one are you going to obey, in other words? Remember, a good soldier doesn't get entangled in the affairs of everyday life so that he can please the one who enlisted him in 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. Are we to take care of our responsibilities? Yes, we are. And there's nothing wrong with that, and that's a good thing. Are we to get entangled and consumed by our responsibilities? No, absolutely not. Not as a good soldier of Christ Jesus in this world. So even the good details, quote-unquote, they could become chains of bondage. Even the good things in life. Even the blessings God gives you could become bondages to you if you're not careful. Remember the blessor and not the blessing itself? On the board, the definition of temptation came up a couple weeks ago. Anything that takes one of God's children away from His will for them. The good, the bad, the ugly, it doesn't matter. Anything that takes God's will or God's children away from His will for them, that's a temptation. For example, if you become a slave to the blessing, on Sunday, children came up again. It must be a problem in the congregation. The Spirit keeps bringing that up. If you become a slave to the blessing, Rather than the one who blesses, the one who gave you the gifts, consider yourself having failed, having fallen in that area. However, of course, do not despair. 
but just recognize it and be like, oh, that wasn't good. I'm going to repent from that attitude or that priority or that uh, entangling into the affairs of everyday life, and I'm going to move on. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, Proverbs 24, verse 16. So we are to be on guard that any details of life lead us astray from following the Lord first. Remember Revelation chapter 2, you lost your first love? We are to be on guard for any details of life, including the good ones, the blessings, that could lead us away from following the Lord first. And you are the only one that knows if the Lord is first in your heart, priority-wise. If the Lord's will is first in your heart, instead of your blessings. And if not, repent. Repent and let Him change you. Remember again, even the good details of life could become chains of bondage, if you're not careful. And when we fail, which we will, we don't despair. That's not our new nature. That's not what we're designed to do as believers. On the board, you know, thank God we have the hope of the Lord with us and in us all the time. Lamentation 3, 22 and 23. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's why we don't despair, right? How can we possibly despair when we have a God like this and these kind of promises from Him? You know, I'll never leave you or forsake you. How can we ever despair, like give up? Just wrong, uh, wrong perspective, right? We're also reminded of this principle on the board a couple weeks ago because we're all going to fail. And while grace isn't a license to sin, it is most definitely an opportunity to stand back up right away. Proverbs twenty four sixteen, For a righteous man falls seven times. A righteous man falls seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in time of calamity. If you are a saved child of Christ, you are a righteous man in God's eyes. He's made you righteous. And you have the ability to take or make full use of God's grace when you fail. To repent and be right back in taking advantage of the opportunity in front of you. Consider this as part of this series on understanding grace and works on the board. As believers in Christ, we've been saved and delivered from sin and death. Right? We know that. By this grace, we now stand. We are in the light and we possess the Lord as our perfect redeeming hope. That's us as believers. So we don't despair ever. That's not part of our uh, language or our way of thinking. And that's not part of the inheritance we've been given. Turn in your Bibles again to Romans 5, verse 1. We were here a couple weeks ago. Romans 5, verse 1. Again, on the board, as believers in Christ, we've been saved and delivered from sin and death. By this grace, we now stand. We are in the light, and we possess the Lord as our perfect redeeming hope. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. That's what we do as believers. That's what we should be doing every day. Even though you know, our flesh gets in the way at times, we should like repent and turn around and be like, hey, I'm going to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
He's in me. And in verse 3, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The hope we have doesn't disappoint everybody, because it's a perfect hope. It's the one who rose from the dead, who actually lives inside of us. So it cannot disappoint. This is why we even rejoice through the tough lessons, because the God of hope is building something good in us, and He's always faithful. Turn to Romans 15, verse 13. We should never lose sight of our hope, everybody. I mean, no matter what we're going through, we have the hope that rescues us from sin and death. He already rescued us from sin and death. He is rescuing us from sin and death. And ultimately, one day in heaven, He rescues us from sin and death forever and ever. That's our God. And it's like a guaranteed victory. So we must never despair. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And on the board, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. It's a different way of grieving even for us. You know, we don't despair like those that have no hope. And this verse on the board brings us seamlessly to this point on wisdom. There's a big difference between walking in darkness and walking in the light. In darkness, as an unbeliever, you are blind, whereas in the light you can see. Even though you may trip and stumble from time to time, uh, fall to temptation. And Paul taught this to the Ephesians. Uh, turn your Bibles to Ephesians 5, 15. <clears throat> Paul taught this to the Ephesian believers. He's like, you know the truth, and you're different now. So walk in what you know. This is your opportunity. Ephesians 5.15 Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Does that sound familiar? It should, because we're just in Galatians 6.10, which says, while you have the opportunity, do good to all men. So make the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now notice in the next few verses, it's about maximizing your time for God. How do I make the most of my time, Lord? Here's what you do. Verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Right there we have four examples or more of how to maximize your time for God. How do I minister? What do you want me to do with my time, Lord? That's divinely productive. Well, be filled with the Spirit. You know, if you're looking for something else to do, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. If you're looking for something else to do, always give thanks to the Lord. And by the way, in verse 21, minister to each other. In fact, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Serve one another because you're serving a child of God. On the board, again, more wisdom. Paul's basically saying, out of grace, you know better. 
and you're now in the light. So take advantage of it while you have time. Take advantage of it while you have time. Why does that verse say the days are evil? Make the most of your time because the days are evil. You know why? Because the sun goes down. There's only so much time that we can do his will in a day. And when the sun goes down and the lights are out and everybody's in bed, you can't minister to anybody. All right, let's get really simplified. The days are evil. On the board, you know better. You have the truth now. You're in the light. So take advantage of it while you have time. Time is fleeting. But you have been changed. And you now have the opportunity to do good things of eternal value because you're in the light. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians 5. And by grace, uh, this came up a couple weeks ago too, that we're even able to walk. God gives us the ability to walk. And God's word lights our very path. On the board again regarding wisdom, notice that believers walk, Ephesians 5.15, not always wisely, but nonetheless they've been made able to walk. Walking in the light is impossible for an unbeliever because they're not in the light. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. Paul could have never written Ephesians 5 to unbelievers and expected it to settle in their souls with any real meaning. They're like, what are you, what are you talking about? They would be like, what do you mean do these things and be filled with the Spirit? But you're in the light. And you have the power and the grace available to you if you're a believer. The professional Christian walks wisely as a habit of life, living in the new creature. He chooses to humbly obey the word and the Spirit's leading. He even embraces the little things God asks him to do. On the board again, regarding a professional Christian, professionals care about the little things. In fact, that's what makes them good professionals in any field. That's part of what makes a good soldier for Christ. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4. Now please remember, God isn't saying that He expects us to be flawless. He knows we're stuck in these bodies and in this world for now. He knows our weaknesses. He empathizes with every weakness we have. Because he took on flesh. He knows every temptation. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So the Lord knows the battles we face. So he's not saying he expects us to be flawless, but here's what he is saying on the board. God's desire is that we become increasingly professional as representatives of his son. More and more obedient, in other words. More and more walking in the light being filled with the Spirit, more and more being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's what He desires for us. And that's what gives us freedom, remember. Obedience, serving others even, gives us freedom. Freedom from bondage to yourself, which is probably the worst bondage we struggle with. You want freedom from that? Obey these wonderful commands. And watch God work in your life. Watch the peaceful fruit of righteousness come over you after a time of discipline, after a time of obedience, and let God do what He will in your life. With that attitude, He's free to pour grace upon grace. We saw some passages that give us a picture of what a professional Christian looks like. So we only have a few minutes left. Let's close with um, a couple of verses. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Again, God's desire is that we become increasingly professional as representatives of His Son. Proverbs 4, 23 through 27. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead, and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. 
Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. There's a good description of the professional Christian. Obeying. And that, by the way, should remind you of Deuteronomy 4, verse 9 from our last series on remembering God's grace. Look at this on the board. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently. Look again in your Bibles at Proverbs 4.23. What's it say? Look at your Bible. Verse 23, watch over your heart with all diligence. What's it say in Deuteronomy 4.9? Give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and grandsons. And how does God transform us into good soldiers of Christ, true professionals, increasingly professional? He often must humble us. This is the good part. Remember, all discipline is not joyful at first, but sorrowful. All right, that's darn true. But it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness after time. So God must humble us and press us down. Remember Deuteronomy 8.3 on the board. He humbled, even oppressed or humiliated you, and let you be hungry that he might make you understand. It's all good if it's from God. God uses whatever means necessary to impress his will or purpose upon a man's heart. Whatever he has to do, because he knows in the end it's going to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness to the humble person. So he'll do whatever it takes to impress his will or purpose on man's heart whether it's accommodating to man's sensibilities or not. And that is true grace. That is true grace. That's true kindness, to tell the truth even when it's uncomfortable. Again, true grace isn't easy, but it's truthful and honest. And on the board, God will humble us if we aren't already humbled. This is grace that's designed to produce something, namely humility, that opens us up to even more grace, and so on. It's like we talked about a couple weeks ago. God has so much more for us behind door number two, and we won't let go of the measly, quote-unquote, blessings behind door number one. So he has to humble us. He has to discipline us for our own good so that he can grace us out grace us out at the appropriate time so as we close remember what grace we've been shown even by the spirit in our local assembly remember where you've come from and all that he saved or delivered you from already in your life because what you think about grace will affect what you think about works Back to this series, Grace and Works. What you think about grace, your perspective on grace, hopefully is changed now. What you think about grace is going to affect what you think about works. And even affects our whole proper perspective of the gospel. So that's all we have time for tonight. Uh, We'll continue with this on Thursday evening. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, We thank you again for another privilege of gathering together as your children, as your family. We thank you for the truth that sets us free. And we thank you for the faithfulness of your spirit. Even though we're unfaithful, at times you're always faithful and you're always there. Father, we ask that you bless us all as we leave and help us take these wonderful truths out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen.
Thank you.